Episode 68 on the Cherokee Rewind kicking off. I am Mick. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, this time around, we got a guy who played, gosh, about a decade ago. Oh, my gosh. It doesn't even seem that, or more than a decade ago, actually, uh, or thereabouts, right in that neighborhood. His name's Jordan Fogarty. And, uh, well, folks, welcome, man. Good to, good to talk to you again. It's been a while. Thanks, Mick. Yeah, it, it has been quite some time. I mean, I've been all around, but... I still always end up back in the Toledo area talking to Toledo guys, so I'm really excited to be on this podcast and talk about the glory days wearing the the Cherokee sweater. Yeah, no question about it. Now, I always do this dumb thing where I try to remember. Now, mind you, I've got I did 20 years as the play-by-play guy, and I've been retired now from it for about four. So trying to remember numbers and stuff, but I, I do this little game in my head, and I don't look online. I don't cheat. I don't look online to see what it was. I try to guess and remember what number you wore when you played in Toledo, and I usually get it wrong most of the time. But uh, I'm going to take a stab at it here and say number 20. I believe that is correct. Yeah, I wore 20 for the year I played the Junior Cherokee. I think I wore 20 as well when I played in the U16 too. So, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Wow. Well, hey, broke clocks right twice a day. So we'll take we'll take what we can get. Anyway, um, so let's get started. Now, where are you originally from? I was born in Sarnia, Ontario, which is just over the Blue Water Bridge from Port Huron. Um, mm-hmm. I think I lived there about two weeks, and then I moved to Memphis, Tennessee, because my dad is playing – in the Central Hockey League at the time, and then pretty much Was just that the River I don't know. Kings? Yes, the Memphis River Kings. He uh, did a one-year stint after he played college and spent some time there. And he's got a lot of fond memories. It's a really cool spot. Um, it was me and my mom and him living in, I guess, the team-issued housing, and which probably was a pretty interesting site. So, but uh, yeah, he enjoyed it. He still talks, still knows people from then, and uh, I guess. Yeah, so I grew up right away into the hockey world. Oh, I guess so. Now, how long were you in Memphis? Just a year? Yeah, just probably just for the hockey season. So that would have been, I was born in November, so probably six months until, I don't know how far they went in playoffs, but whenever they lost out, we probably packed our bags and went back up to Canada. So my parents needed a little help raising me because I was a pretty uh, colicky child, so. Yeah, a few extra hands on deck, and then I think after that we went to Ottawa because my dad was playing professional roller hockey too in the summers. So yeah, we were bouncing around quite a bit. And then the first permanent permanent spot I stayed was when I was like uh, two years old. We moved to uh, Hamilton, New York, which is where the Colgate University plays. My dad got his first coaching gig there as assistant coach. Mm-hmm. Oh, and okay. then, so how long were you in Hamilton? Uh, that was three years. I don't really remember it too much because I was still in diapers. But then after that, I'll just give you the whole rundown of where I've been sure. through the whole thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Hamilton for three years. At, my dad was at Colgate. And then Potsdam, Univer- or Potsdam, New York, which is just over the water from Cornwall, Ontario, which is way up there. It's almost near Quebec. That's where Clarkston University is. And then... Uh, 2002 or 2003, we moved to Bowling Green, Ohio. My dad was assistant coach at PGSU. And then 06, 07, around there, went to Adrian. And then we pretty much set up shop. We have a cottage on Devil's Lake in Michigan by Adrian now. And my family still kind of calls that home base, even though 
my parents are out in New Jersey at Princeton University uh, during the winters. So, and then I spent last year in Sweden. I'm currently in Phoenix. So, I'm all over the place. Holy cow! I guess so, man. You got a yeah. lot of lot of uh, stickers on your on your suitcase. So let me. Yeah. But uh, the reason I want to know all that stuff though is because how old were you when you first put on a pair of skates? Um. Jesus, before my memory, but I'm pretty sure there's pictures of me before I could even walk. My dad was skating me around with skates on, just holding me between his legs. Um, and then once I could walk, so probably, I don't know, a year and a half, once I could start walking, they put me in these double runner skates that had two blades in each skate so I wouldn't fall over. And I just put around the ice, I guess, after, I don't know, must have been a, a practice here or there. And yeah, so... I mean, my earliest memories are in a hockey rink, just given my dad's job and the fact that we're a Canadian family. So I think it's just pretty much ingrained in my blood. Okay. So now, uh, do you remember how old you were when you first put a hockey stick in your hands and started playing? Uh, not exactly. It would have been... I did figure skating for a year, I think, before I played hockey, because I don't think there was much hockey in upstate New York. So my dad's like, hey, might as well learn how to skate. And I don't know, my mom probably liked it too. So I did that. And then my earliest memories of having a hockey stick really in my hand were in Bowling Green when I was probably six or seven years old playing. I played in like the house league team there, just in their house program for a few years. And, uh, I think my earliest real hockey memory is scoring my first goal in the final game of a house league. So, yeah, but there's pictures of me when I was like three years old shooting on the net in the basement with like my dad and mini hockey and celebrating. So might not have translated on the ice quickly, but it's always kind of been pretty close by. Hey, that's, that's the point though, is that, you know, those are the memories you want because those are the, those are the keepers. Now, um, So, I mean, when did you start playing organized? Was that in Bowling Green? Yeah, I believe Bowling Green. So I played through their uh, their house league program for a few years, and then uh, whatever the level was when I think got into squirts, it was more travel-based. Um, I played. They didn't have enough players at the time, so it was like the 94 berth, 95 berth, and 95 berth played together. So I was on a team with uh, Nate Gay. At the time, he was like my best buddy. So we were playing up and down. I saw he was in the podcast earlier, I believe. So it's just mm-hmm. uh, then grew up, played against the Toledo Cherokee one time, I think in Pee Wee's, because still in Bowling Green. And they beat us 23 to nothing. And uh, yeah, Natashak was the head coach at the time of that team. And he knew my dad, obviously, because Natashak played college and was obviously a very successful player. And he's mm-hmm. like, uh, yeah, do you think Jordan want to play for Toledo next year? And I was like, no, I hate you guys. You just scored 23 goals in a 30-minute game against me. I'm devastated. I'm like 8 or 9, 10. I don't know how old I was, but I was like, you guys, so I hate the Toledo Cherokee, and little do I know. So after that, my Super Bowl in green, I I went to Sylvania after that for two two or three years. And then for minor midgets, I went to the Toledo Cherokee organization under Kelly Kester. And then that's when I met all the Zalecki, Bogart, Lame, and Pogorski, Turner, Armstrong, all those guys that like I played in the Brody Duncan, just all those guys that played on the Cherokee team. Just we just kind of grew up together from there. So it was all pretty much Northwest Ohio raised for hockey. Okay, do you remember your first coach in Bowling Green? Oh, uh, 
I do not. I do not. Um, we it switched a bunch. I think it switched almost every year when I was growing up there. Um, we had one coach. We would practice at like six thirty in the morning or something like that before school on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And the only mm-hmm. thing I really remember is one of our coaches wouldn't go on the ice. He would just have a coffee on the bench and look <laughs> back. Like, I don't really blame him. It was that early, and Bowling Green's barn back then was pretty beat up they've made it better now but it was probably freezing cold he's like i was just if i had to do the same thing as him i'd have a cup of coffee in my hand and sit on the bench too yeah that's true so now um so you move on to uh playing in sylvania uh tell me about that experience if you remember any of it what was it like what was the caliber of hockey for you uh how did you do uh yeah it was uh it was a step up from Bowling Green, just given that uh, Bowling Green at the time didn't have a great youth program. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we had some good players. Austin Kelly, who played Division Three, I believe. Uh, he won a national championship at Stevens Point afterwards. He went to St. John's, or Saint, I think St. John's. Uh, some good players. Michael Barrett was on that team. He's at Adrian College. Just won a national championship with their ACHA team. So it was like some good quality hockey players. Uh, Suter was the coach, and his son Colin was on the team too. Uh, some good hockey players that end up lighting up the Toledo High School Leagues, and then a good chunk of them went to play on afterwards too. So it was a step up, and we were good. We like were very competitive, I think, at the state level, and then also at like all the silver stick tournaments. And given a double A team, I always thought Toledo for having two double A teams easily could have fielded a triple A team with all the talent there. I'm still surprised they don't have one for like a generic like comp or something like that. But so it was really good. Like it was a stepping stone, and then not stepping stone. It was a step up for me, and uh, it was great. Like the Tambo Shandrin there, we always had good ice times and a lot of ice available to us. So. That was like the really point in my game when I thought like, oh, like I can actually get better at this and maybe do something more than, uh, I don't know, just play in the local drink area. Coffee. Just, yeah, drink coffee on the bench. Who knows? Even though sometimes later in life now I'm still playing, I kind of want a coffee on the bench. have one at intermission or something. <laughs> okay, so um, now when did you, uh, uh, what lured you to the dark side? What uh, got you to leave Sylvania and, and decide to give Toledo a try? Um, so I hated Toledo still when I was in Sylvania. It was a natural rivalry, and that 23 to nothing, just absolute kicking by them, still kind of boiled my blood. But Sylvania didn't have really a U16 team. They had pre-post, but I was going mm-hmm. to school at Madison High School in Michigan. So, and it... I, we graduated 88 people from my class, and the ice rink in the whole county was only five years old. So there was no hockey player. So I didn't have a high school team to play for. Um, and then Toledo had a U16 team. That the majority of the kids, there's maybe two or three guys on that team who played pre-post, and the majority was just only on the travel team. So it made sense for me to go switch over to the, the ice house Texas room there, tack on five minutes to my drive from Adrian and play with those guys. So it just seemed like the logical next step in the progression of my hockey career at the time. And uh, I'm super glad I did it because I met some of my best friends and who I'm still in contact with still golf with. I'm standing up on Layman's wedding this upcoming whenever he has it. So it's like, mm-hmm. it was uh, a logical step. But looking back, I think it was one of the best steps of uh, my life progression as well, not just hockey. That's awesome. Now, I... I mean, 
who was your coach in t- at Toledo for the U16s? You said it was Kelly? Yeah, Kelly, Kester, and then the assistant coach were Schmidt and Dunn. So we had a good group. They were younger guys who were pretty recently removed from their playing careers themselves. So they were able to relate, and they uh, they were great guys. They I hadn't done as much conditioning. They had us running in the parking lot of Lowe's next door before practice and skating us hard. And they really kind of ingrained, like, uh, a you-got-to-work-for-it attitude. And we ended up winning a state championship with that team, I believe. So paid off. And there were some good hockey players on that team. Uh, the first year, we were pretty good. We had the core 95 group we had, too, plus, like, Brody Duncan and those guys, I believe. Uh, I mean, out of Brody that year. Some good 94s as well. Um, and then the next year, my second year, we had uh, Cam Clark, who was dra- ended up drafted by the Bruins. And then uh, Mitch Perot as well, who played at USHL in Omaha. And then played, I played against him when he was at Harvard. He's in his senior year right now, but they didn't play, unfortunately. So we had like a really high caliber group being taught by those guys. And kudos to them because, I mean, every step of the way is so important. But that U16 year is just immensely important to getting you to the next level yeah no question about it uh so um did you ever like look at the or study or see any tape at all of kelly when he kelly custer when he played hockey for toledo i have not i heard he's a pretty good player but uh i would love to hear whatever you got to say about him well let's put it this way there were times uh, let's put it this way. The only reason he wasn't playing at the USHL level or the NA was because of his size, not because of his talent, because he had USHL talent, hands down. It wasn't even a contest. The problem was is that when you're five feet nothing, they don't, the scouts, especially back then, the scouts wanted trees. They wanted big trees. They want, you had to be like 6'2", six, 6'3", six, if, if they were going to pay attention to you. And that was really sad because that guy would take the team on his shoulders and would carry a game by himself. I mean, you you know you know you get noticed when I'm sitting at a, at a getting ready to do a game at a showcase uh, for the uh, back then it was the CSHL and uh, you know before they changed to the three HL anyway um, I'm sitting at CSHL showcase getting ready to do a game. And I've got scout. I'm listening, overhearing scouts that don't know that I'm with Toledo, and they're telling me, and or they're talking amongst themselves, and they're talking about, yeah, that kid that wore 17, that kid he played. I mean, it's like him against the other team. He's like the other. He doesn't need anybody else on his team. You know, he was that good. He he would just fly down the ice. I mean, fly down the ice, and could control the puck, go into corners. He could do it all, and. Um, I've always been one of those guys that if I don't, I'm not for, you know, retiring a number. I think if you want to honor somebody for their career, for the great career they had, you should put uh, their jersey number up in the in the rafters, sure, but not retire the number. Kind of like what they do with the Maple Leafs. They mm-hmm. would, uh, they, uh, they honor the number and they put it up in the rafters, but they don't retire the number. You can still wear it. Um, Kelly was about as close as I ever got. So saying they should retire his number. He was that good. And he was that big of an impact on, on that team, on the teams he played for. And that's no slight on the other guys because he, he had some really good players that played with him. And he'd be the first to tell you, you know, that it was, his, it was the other guys. But it, it, he, 
he wow. That's all I can say is wow. He was really um, exceptional. Would be probably the best way I could describe it as far as his talent. And he's a good kid. He's a great guy, you know. On top of it, so but um, I just I'm glad he's given back to the game though by coaching and passing on what he knows, you know, back to back to the up and coming guys. So um, now. You played a couple seasons, or uh, you played U16 with Sylvania, you, and then again, you came here to Toledo. Uh, how long did you, was it till you went to juniors? Uh, so I had my two years at U16 in Toledo, my mm-hmm. U15, U16 year, something like that. I'm not sure the exact age group of it. But uh, then after that was the big exodus from the U16 team to the junior, pretty much, because we all, from the 95s age out of midgets, of minor midgets, and then we all, I mean, there was a good chunk of that team that went to the junior team afterwards, so that would have been the 2012-2013 season was the year I played in Toledo, so it was after my second year of midgets in Toledo, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much all of us just moved down the hall from the 16 locker room into the, the Cherokee, junior Cherokee locker room. I was going to say, that was a nice move, though, wasn't it, going into that big locker room? Yeah, our U16 one was, I mean, it's awesome to have the amount of locker rooms they have at the Ice House, but the U16 one was like a closet compared to the nice, I mean, the one, the locker room we had in Toledo was much better than the one I had when I went and played junior in Canada, and like, before they renovated the one I played at in college, it was better than that one too, like, we had a great, like, there was a lounge area there at one point and stuff like that. It was, like, unbelievable. Doctor's office, were, like, where Doc was set up in there, like, right next to the locker room. So if anything happened, like, go right in there. Like, it was, like, for the level of hockey that is, which is, like, pretty good junior hockey, it is just far and beyond what anybody could expect. And it really makes you want to succeed, and it makes you succeed because they have some good teams, especially this past year for them. Yeah, no question. Now, um... To, what was it like when you went to the junior camp? Was it kind of almost like a homecoming because of all the guys that you knew that uh, were coming out? Yeah, uh, I showed up a little later because I was spent the spring and summer with uh, a AAA team in Detroit. So I hadn't really been there as much as they had. But then I agreed. I talked to, at the time, Searing was the coach before mm-hmm. Kenny and uh so I talked to him a bit, and then I wasn't going to play for the U18 Victory Honda team that upcoming year. So I talked to him. I was like, yeah, I'd love to play. And I signed right before the camp. And then I come to my first skate with all the guys. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, this is it's just like last year. It's just doing the same thing. So it's it's just very comfortable. Like, I've been in locker rooms where you don't know anybody before. And everybody's just trying to feel each other out. Like, you don't really say anything. But then you're in there, and you're like, oh, like, Brandon, how's it going? Tyler, like. What'd you do last week? Like, how's your golf game after you played two weeks ago? Like, it just makes you so much more comfortable, and then it just makes you play better because you're not nervous. Like, if you mess up, you like aren't gonna immediately think, "Oh, this guy doesn't belong here." They're gonna be like, "Oh, I know how he can play. Like, that's just a fluke or something like that." And then the comfortability of that just make, like flows right into the confidence of the game. Now, um, did you have to uh, at that point in the camp and everything? And those early practices, um, what was what was it that uh, when they brought you in, what was the expectation of you? What type of player did they want you to be? Did they want you to be more of the uh, guy who's on the score sheet 
or were you the guy that worked to work in the corners? Were you the guy that was supposed to protect uh, another player? Any of that kind of stuff? What what was did they kind of give you an idea of what they wanted you to do? Well, it definitely was not to protect anybody because I think my year of junior there was uh, I was probably five foot five, one hundred and forty five pounds. So <laughs> I mean, I probably couldn't have even protected. I don't know anybody from a stray cat in the alley. So that was, if they thought that was my job, I probably would have been greatly mistaken. But um, Syrian had seen us because we practiced around the same time, played games similar time as the junior team when I was in U16. So it seemed I'd, I was on, like scored a decent amount in U16. So it was pretty much like, hey, like you never know how your game's going to translate to the next level. You've got an idea, but just when you go from playing guys, I was still 16 that year. I was in Toledo. Uh, against guys who are 21, 20, 21 years old. It's like, okay, like you're small, you might get beat up. So I think the initial expectation was probably like a third line role, like get some points, but get experience. The biggest thing, because I've got four years left if I stay in Toledo my whole time. It's like, okay, you can develop, you got to put some weight on. I think that was more the thing, it was like a development role, which much of the 95 guys were. So I think that was the initial uh, idea. And then I guess I got lucky and I got put in the same line. Pretty much I played in uh, in midget, which was Brandon Lehman and Tyler's lucky and I, and we had great chemistry. We were pretty much best friends and it just kind of took off from there. I think we just started scoring and scoring, scoring and uh, kind of took over more of a, uh, I don't know, a game driving uh, role and translated well. And I had a ton of fun with it. So um, you look at uh, you talk about the great chemistry that you got that you Zebop and uh, and uh, Brandon Layman had. Uh, did guys of like from the other teams did they try to take advantage of the fact that you weren't the tallest guy out there? Did they try to take cheap shots or take extra liberties, uh, trying to you know after the whistle mess with you and try to hit you a little extra? Uh. I think, yeah, like anybody, like, you got to remember this league was, at the time, we were pretty recently removed from the Central States League, which had the reputation of essentially being one of the toughest and <laughs> roughest junior leagues. Like, you always heard, like, oh, it's a Cherokee team. Like, you go to those games, you see some fights. But, uh, yeah, some guys would definitely run at us. I think we, we each of us got a lot stronger that year. Uh, well, we tried to, at least. We had some gym gaffes as well where i'll tell you that story in a minute but uh we so we got stronger <laughs> and we learned learned to play with it we used our speed and we had some good guys on the team like jake manders who essentially said like he was a great leadership he was i think 1992 birth so he was quite older than i was he was 20 and i was 16 so i pretty much saw him as an adult and i was a kid and he pretty much said don't do this like great mentorship by him and if anybody came near us I don't know, we had Bogart as well, who even though he's the same age, he looked like a tree, a hill giant out there. So we had guys that could protect us. This way, he could have been tried as an adult. Jake was an adult, but Bogey could could have been tried as an adult if need be. Yeah, he was a great football player too, and I'm not surprised because he probably could have grabbed two guys with each hand and just thrown them off the line if he was a lineman. He he was a man-child. He had a full beard. I don't understand how he had a full beard at 16. I still can't grow one at 25. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, we were pretty well, well protected. Dude, 
I've got there's if you ever get time, I don't know if there if his picture is on the it might be if you look online somewhere, but back in nineteen ninety-eight on the national championship team, we had a defenseman. He signed as a fifteen year old. This I am not his name was Bo Jack. He's from Pittsburgh. And he was on our national championship team. And I am not kidding. This guy, um, to say he had a full stash and beard, I mean, he looked like uh, the outdoorsman guy, the brawny lad uh, uh, guy. He did at, at 15. And it's like, I mean, it's like, dude, were you playing with the hair on your chest when you were like five? You know, he this guy, I mean, the, if you see the picture of him, it's like, he didn't need to get carded. That's how, I mean, he did not look like he was a, uh, when he turned 16, it was like, where's your wife and kids? You know? <laughs> it's like, it's like, my gosh, this guy was, I mean, he did, he looked way older than he was. So don't worry. Don't feel bad at all. But yeah, bogey, you're right. I remember bogey back then uh, with the, with the facial hair going and stuff trying to, but of course he could back it up and that guy was a truck. Oh, yeah. So, so Great tell me player. who, or now who is? I mean, besides besides your line mates, obviously with Zebab and Layman, who else on that team? Did you get to see any time with anyone else uh, to kind of mix things up uh, on the line, on your line? Very rarely. Um, honestly, I couldn't remember an exact game where I played a regular shift with other guys. Like it was quite usual us three, us three, us three whenever we were going out there. Um, I think they did mix it up once or twice. I couldn't uh, remember the exact line pairings. I'm sure they mixed in the Pigorski and on with us. Um, Zach Armstrong played a bit with Brandon and I in U16. Yeah, yeah, see, that's what I remember for some strange reason. And it probably was only a game or two. But I always remember whenever I think of you and I think of Brandon, the third guy in that in that triumvirate that I always think of is not necessarily Zeba, but of course Zeba played some, you know all all his whole career there. But I always think of Army. For some reason, I think of you, Layman, and Army together. But uh, it, it's just is like I said, it's just a weird thing. But yeah, Zeba. Now now the more we talk about it, it's like yeah, he did play with you guys a lot. Mm. <laughs> so, but uh, the chemistry. You talk about the chemistry. Like, who are some of the funny guys? in that locker room there had to be some crazy goofballs oh yeah well, we had like the nicknames i'm sure you've discussed before on the podcast but so we had like the coneheads our line because we we're just three idiots that like hanging out together and playing hockey but then we had mm-hmm. the monkeys we called them because uh i think it must have stemmed from the three little monkeys jumping on the bed uh pruitt and the Pigorsky brothers were just hilarious people to hang out with i mean Everybody was funny in their own ways. We also had, like, Manders, just because he had so many experiences, could throw in a funny comment here or there. Uh, but, like, those three guys, Pruitt, uh, the Horsey brothers, like, we go hang out with them. Like, I was great, I'm was i great friends with Brett still. we go hang out at their house after practice, or if we had a weekend game, like, I, instead of driving home, I'd just be like, hey, I'm going to crash at your place. And there's stories, like, left, right, and center of where, like, we go to their house, and I'd be crying, laughing, or, like, something silly would happen that we still talk about today. Just like such, I don't know, naturally funny. And if you can call them, cl- they're most definitely class clowns at school. 
But when you're yeah. the class clown of a hockey team, that's just essentially being uh, like the king of kings for funny, stupid things. So, who, who who played? Who pulled the most practical jokes? Would you say it was? I I heard it was Pruitt. Yeah, I, I think it would be Pruitt. Uh, he was a bit older than us. I'd probably wish by like a year, but at that time, it seems like it's a decade. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, they're just like funny stuff. I can't remember any off the top of my head, but there's always something going on, especially when you get guys who are from like out of town or like you're spending more time at the rink now because we're working out after. You're spending two hours there at least every day. It's just like so you got to find something to pass your time. So there'd be like, I think that's where I learned the water cup and the helmet trick. And it's probably from him was where you got your helmets facing away from you. So you can't see what's inside of it. So you throw like a cup of Gatorade underneath the helmet. So the guy's the last thing he puts on before he goes out in the ice, he just pulls it off and the whole Gatorade cup spills all over you. And then you got like (laughs) sticky gear until you sweat it off in practice. It's like stuff like that. The best part is like, it's always the guy that shows up to the rink last. So I knew that too because I was driving from Adrian every day, so I'm flying down to 23 trying to make sure I don't get the Gatorade thing checking my helmet and stuff. And then, like, everybody knows it's coming, so everybody's kind of smirking, but you don't notice it because you're rushing to get dressed. And then, mm-hmm. sure enough, you're just covered in blue Gatorade, ice cold water, and they're like, oh, come on, guys. Like, and the other thing, <laughs> we love it because you just, it's all out of good fun where it's just like the camaraderie and you just start laughing at yourself. and if you take it too seriously, you're not going to last long at any level because you have to laugh at your own mistakes and stuff like that. So it was a great growth thing, even the practical jokes. But, I mean, probably some heavy belly laughs just from the stuff. So, so funny and ridiculous things they do. That you, uh, did you have to go through getting uh, tape on your skates? Uh, I did it to myself once, actually, by accident. I... Uh, I think it might have been in U16, but I, I never used skate guards. And I just, like, was probably late to practice or something because I have a 40 to an hour drive every day. So I got out there and just, like, just face plant on myself. I'm like, what just happened? I look, I didn't take my skate guards off. I never put skate guards again in my life or before that. And just, like, the one time I did it, I forgot. So I did it to myself. And then I think I got it one time. But my skate luckily sliced through it a little bit, so I had a little grip, and I looked, I was like, oh, no. But that's, so I, I didn't quite know, eat the ice too hard there. Um, but, yeah, that was that's a classic. I mean, everybody gets that at least once or twice in their hockey careers, and everybody does it, probably tries it four or five times, because it's just wow. such a clean and classic trick. Now, did you ever get shoe checked? I don't think I did actually I got lucky I I learned quickly that I saw it once that if you put your feet like your toes down and you cross them behind your uh like underneath your chair you can't really get shoe checks I can't put anything on you'll feel it pretty easily so I'm pretty sure I still sit like that to today out of pure like forcing habit so I don't have to stand up on the table and sing but yeah shoe checking is another great one I've seen like in college and junior and minor pro it's all still happens all the time where like i mean we had it in college one time where a guy had to stand up at like a five-star restaurant and he sang like a taylor swift song and oh dear sure enough he got a standing ovation but there might have been a few bleeding ears so i'm lucky <laughs> i never had to go through the torture of that but 
if I ever have to in the future, I'll belt out something and hopefully get booed off quicker than I get to the first verse and the first verse. Classic, classic rock is always a good one to go to because you don't have to have the like the vocal range because back then they were always on something, so they would just belt it out, and you could you could you you can do that without having to worry about reaching the proper key. But um, now, uh, when you were like in your first year with uh, them in the juniors, did you go through any kind of uh, any kind of uh, I don't want to say hazing, but any kind of uh, any kind of induction into the world of juniors? Yeah, we had uh, we had a, we called it rookie dinner, which is I mean I wouldn't call it hazing by anything. I don't think there was any hazing at all, to be honest. Like. If anything, it was clean fun, and it was completely optional. Um, but essentially, us rookies, and because we had so many of them, uh, we dressed up as uh, we went to like the Goodwill and picked out some like skirts and tube tops and got our hair done. So I think I had like a ponytail. My hair was short, so just like a little bob up top. And uh, mm-hmm. we we had to bring the the veterans, which there might have been like five or six of them at the time, out for dinner. And we just, I don't know, just had a good time. And people probably took pictures of it. I still have a picture somewhere on my phone or computer of a few of us just looking ridiculous with these, like, tennis skirts on. And I think Zach Armstrong bought, like, a C-cut bra. And <laughs> six-year-old guy, so it just looks ridiculous with, like, socks in it or something like that. So just, But it was a lot of fun. And, you know, it was completely optional, so... It was like clean, fun humor, and I think we probably laughed at ourselves more than anybody else laughed at us. And went to a pretty empty restaurant too, which was nice. So there wasn't too many what? pictures or things. <laughs> what restaurant did you guys go to? Oh, uh, I don't really remember. Uh, I think it was kind of like a sports bar one on like a two p.m. on like a Friday or something like that. So. Um, and I had a each rookie had to pay for their veterans meal, and Jake Manders I think had just turned twenty one, so my bill oh, might have been no. a little higher because I had a couple pints in there. But I don't know Jake yeah. Manders might have been one of the like my best mentor when I was in Toledo, just because he was the veteran who picked me in the rookie draft, who picks essentially if a veteran needs like extra skate lace, like hey go grab this. It's like yeah for sure, just like the small initiation stuff. But uh, he pretty much said like. Don't take any crap. I'll get my own skate laces. Just play hockey hard and have fun. So realistically, that was my only initiation stuff there was just try to have fun and, I don't know, joke with them or, I don't know, every once in a while make them a coffee or something. But it was really good. It helped when we greatly outnumbered the veterans as rookies so we could kind of sneak away with some stuff. There you go. So now um, let's see. How long was uh, – when did uh, they make the change from Scott to Kenny? Was that in your first year, in your year there? Yeah, that was my year there. It was pretty early in the season. I think it might have been November time frame uh, when they let Scott go and they brought in Kenny, um, which I don't really remember our record at the time, but we hadn't been playing very well, and the ownership decided they want to make a change. So, yeah, we brought Kenny in, and then – little bit different but i think we just kind of kept growing through everything and it was at the end of the day it worked out pretty well for everybody and kenny's still there so it's great for him yeah uh him and todd omi yeah todd well because kyler was on the team too so it's kind of fun to see 
See his dad yeah. around the rink. His dad's a great guy too. Yeah, he's a, he's a piece of work. I'll give him that. Um, now, uh, you you know when you played there, who was the team that you probably got your angst up, your you got your dander up for because they were a rival and you in the way you felt about Toledo when you were in Bowling Green. Uh, yeah, there's a few. Um, the way I look at it is, I don't make a lot of friends playing against them in hockey. I like to keep my friend circle close and in the same color, colors and jersey I'm wearing. But uh, Metro Jets were just our biggest hated. We didn't like the Michigan Mountain Cats. Uh, the Cleveland team was good, so we always got a little excited. But Metro Jets definitely. I think they're probably the closest proximity to us. And there was always, I got my head, like my helmet came off in a scrum. And the guy grabbed the back of my hair and slammed my head on the ice and got a match penalty from it. So just stuff like that would happen, and uh, yeah, I couldn't even tell you names on the team, but yeah, just every time it's like, okay, we're playing Metro, like, probably, I think somebody might have put foil on their hands as a joke before the game, like, this is going to be a rough <laughs> one, guys. So just like, every time, just, especially being a smaller guy, those are the games where guys would be taking runs at you, they grab you by the, I was wearing a bubble, so you hear all the, oh, like, fishbowl, or like, blowing hot air on your bubble to try to fog it up just stuff like small stuff like that that are just trying to get under your skin but uh it was fun um they had alex Nedeljkovic on their team that year who's the goalie for the carolina hurricanes so they yeah. were a pretty good team but uh i think we beat them one day game and brandon layman had like a two goal game he's like oh, i'll remember this game like this guy's gonna be an nhl eventually because he was just down from the plymouth whalers and sure enough wow. brandon was completely right so he should probably get into scouting after that but playing against those guys, <laughs> playing against those guys was awesome. And I mean, you're before the game, like getting ready, and you know, like, okay, I'm gonna try to throw a big hit, or I'm gonna do something different this game, or really lean into a shot, send a little high to get off the goalie's head real quick in the game, throwing off this game. So, just stuff like that that are just, I mean, such fond memories of being so angry somehow. Mm-mm-mm. Now, uh, did you ever get into any? You ever get any any mix-ups? I mean, did you get into any fights or anything like that when you were when you were in Toledo? Never really dropped the gloves. Um, I was wearing a bubble too, so I mean, five foot four in a bubble isn't really a prime fighting suspect. But uh, <laughs> there was one I remember. Some guy grabbed me after a whistle, and there's a scrum. I just had enough, and I realized I had like a little edge on him, so I had him by like his head and he was wearing a visor so i just like put him in a headlock and just spun as fast as i could to take him to the ground that was about it i mean i probably at that time i probably couldn't have reached his face if we were fighting so it was probably smart just take him to the ground and hope to hope as much as i can that the referee or linesman will come grab us before i start eating fists <laughs> well it worked out you yeah. still got your chiclets so that's good yeah yeah um, happy. my mom's happy about that I was gonna say, I bet. No, uh, I, I was gonna say, how did that play? You know, you being in juniors and how rough and tumble that world is, and you know, you're growing up and you've got, uh, you know, again, you've got uh, different things going on in your life. How did that wear on your on your family? Um, I'm very lucky that my mom and dad and sisters have been around the game so much. Like, I'm sure, like, my youngest sister probably knows more hockey stats and ho- more about hockey than I do, which is insane because she loves the game. So they were 
very supportive. Like they let me take our family had two cars and I pretty much just took the one every single day because I drive my sister to school and then my classes would go before theirs and I just drive down to Toledo every day. Then my mom would have to go pick them up after she's done working. So it was essentially, it was tough at times just because like driving so much and at that time gas prices were in like the mid threes too. So I'm filling up the tank twice a week and I don't really have a job because I'm going to school and playing junior hockey. So thankfully my parents are very supportive of that because it's so expensive. Um, then there's time like I'm away from home for a full weekend and then I get home and I'm exhausted and I'm like, okay, we're going to a family dinner. And I'm like, okay, like, I'll, I'll, can we go for a quick one? And luckily they were like, yeah, for sure. Like, we understand. So they're super, like, understanding, and they were going to help me out through the, the way the entire time. So I, I can't thank them enough for, like, helping me out and supporting me through that because it's difficult when you've got a kid who's never home at 16, like, and then moves away for right after that when they're still in high school. It's, it's tough, and uh, hopefully I can pass on that same support and love when, I got kids playing one day, so. Now, do your sisters play at all? Any of your sisters or involved in the game? No, neither of them played. The youngest loves it. She's at Adrian College, and I'm pretty sure she goes to all the games. Friends with, like, I don't know, they have, like, seven teams at Adrian College, so she probably knows everybody on the team because she plays, (laughs) or she just, she played volleyball at Adrian, so, like, all the athletes hang out. My middle sister, Rachel, who's actually a nurse at Toledo Promedica right now, uh, mm-hmm. she should have played because she's got, like, ridiculous natural strength, and she was a great, like, softball player, but, and she's got, she's way grittier than I am. Like, I wouldn't ever want to fight her. She would, <laughs> she would throw me, she'd have my shirt over my head and have me turtling faster than I'd know what happened. So she should have played. She would have been a great player, but neither of them ever really laced them up. I think they figure skated a bit, and they like the game, but no. Nah. Rachel should have played, though. <laughs> wow. Now, uh, I won't ask who's the toughest of the bunch then. So, oh, I think you're, I you're right there, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I think you come at the bottom of the list there, don't you? Oh, yeah. I'm, at, uh, I'm probably last on the list underneath their old 14-year-old dog, 14-pound dog. So. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, so now uh, – so now, you know, tell me a little bit about uh, that season you played in Toledo uh, from what you remember as far as uh, after the change when Kenny came in. Um, did you have to adjust any part of your game at all? I mean, did they did he ask you to do anything different? Um, a little bit. I think there was a little bit more accountability. Um, some guys had different roles after that. I remember you pretty much said, like, hey, we're switching things up. I think I played on a different line actually after that a little bit. And then we went back to Lehman's Lucky and I. Um, the biggest thing I remember from the change was every single power play under Scott after a few games it was just like Brandon Lucky and I would jump over the boards. And I tried that just jumping over the boards out of habit on a power play. And he had me by the back of the things like, like, what do you think you're doing? Like, no, I tell you when you got to go. And I was like, oh. I guess that's true. I, I, I don't know what I was thinking there. So he kind of bared down on us a bit. A um, little bit different systems. But then once he got us how he won playing, then, like, he essentially get us in line and then allow us to, like, move from that line how we can play better. So that's kind of how it went. And it, it was really good. Like, we were a very good team after that as well. So it was um, a little bit different, a lot more learning opportunities. 
he's been the guy. Like, I mean, he coached in that IHL or something like that. Again, with like Chris Draper or something. So like, he's got a lot of hockey experience with such high level guys. So he uh, he definitely brought in some of that experience and taught us some things that uh, really helped us out, especially as young guys. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you were talking earlier about some of the crazy mishaps and things in, 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 in the gym. Uh, I was going to say, did you guys, uh, did you intensify in the gym at all or change anything as far as workouts when you were, when you were with Kenny? Um, it was a little bit more regimented, actually, underneath uh, Scott. Scott, after Tuesday and Thursday practices, we'd go with the assistant coach, I think it was Tarsha, and we'd actually yeah, have Chris- like a stuff but then under kenny it was kind of like hey these are like the workouts go when you have time because i'm like hey like sometimes like i've got a math exam tomorrow i'm in grade 11 like i'm a junior in high school i got a calculus exam tomorrow at 8 a.m like i, I gotta get home before 6 p.m tonight then like so stuff like that like he understood like he was very good about that but uh yeah it was just kind of like go on your own time do some like pretty similar things i like, guess pretty basic especially at that age like 16 year old you can't really throw through the ringer like you can the 21 or 23 year old so you just kind of like build a base and then stuff like that that did it always go well or was there or was the occasional uh, screw up oh yeah well i mean you get you bring all these guys to whatever the gym was called down the road on alexis there towards downtown and 21st it's gonna, century yeah, that was probably it. It was a pretty big gym, but like we got guys just on the bike seeing how fast they can go, putting in like the lowest resistance, like see if they can get like 60 miles, like highway speeds, which like never would, but just make a lot of noise. And people are like getting their after work bike and like who's this idiot next to me trying to break the bikes. But then like one time early in the season, it was like we were all scrawny little kids still. It was like Zalecki, Layman, and I doing military overhead press. And Zalecki was going, and he must have put weight on one side, and somebody put a different amount of weight on the other side, and we didn't put the, uh, didn't put oh, the, no. the, like, whatever they're called, the things to lock in the weights on the end. Mm-hmm. And he goes up, and it's too heavy on the one side for him, but the right side's, like, fine. And the goes up, goes up, goes up, and then just starts twisting, and then the weights fall off of the heavy side. <laughs> So those are just spinning and rolling around the room, the loudest crash ever. And then just because there's no weight on one side, just flies over to the other side, loses like the other weights and the bars crashing. And like (laughs) everybody's just looking at us like, who are these bozos that we let in this gym? Like we we need to get them safety weights. It's like using scissors as a kid, get them safety scissors. So, and then some guy just like, I don't know who he is. I never saw him before in my life. Never saw him again. Just like comes by and goes, are you guys serious? And this walks away, and we're like, yeah, we're serious. We just seriously don't know what we're doing. So our, uh, our gym workouts kind of switched a little bit after we got publicly embarrassed in front of 40 or 50-odd gym goers. So I think that was – I just remember that moment so vividly because you're trying to go catch, like, 25-pound weights, but you're not going to catch them because they're going to break your hand or foot. And then they're rolling around, so you're trying to chase those, and there's something else happening, and Zalecki's just flying around the, the weight bench, not sure what he's doing. So it's just like, oh, no, like, somebody get us an adult. <laughs> the bookends of disaster. It's, yeah. Oh, good night. So now uh, tell me tell me a little bit, though, about like what you, it was like when you had uh, – 
the the people off the ice. Obviously, you talked about Doc. Uh, tell me about what it was like being around Doc and Mo and Brandy and those guys. Yeah, they are all great. They're like super supportful. It, it's tough to find such a good support cast across like any level of hockey. But, like Brandy was there doing the stats and stuff, and I don't know if we had much of a social media time, but I know she does that now. And like kind of just being happy around the rink. Um, Doc was great. I mean, dude, if you need anything, like Doc, I had a headache. Like here you go, this is for a headache. Like stuff that you need when you're a person like of such a young age, away from home. And then Mo was great too, because like Mo loves the game so much, and he loves the team. Like you bring him into the family. He's sharpening your skates, like helping. He like had stuff put in my elbow pad, and I popped a bursa sack in my elbow. Like, just so good and like clean. Like he kept that locker room spotless and helping with the bus and just teaching you tricks of trade. Like just like having those three people around the rink all the time just like helps out like so much success of the team, and it uh. Make you happy to be around the rink around those people. Um, just the simple things. I think Brandon Lehman had a mole removed from his back that year and it kept popping. The stitches kept popping open. So Doc had to probably put like a band on his back every single day looking at this gross back of Brandon Lehman. So they just do like stuff for you that's like above and beyond all the time. And uh, I just I couldn't be more thankful. There's just so many people like that organization. I mean, yourself included. I mean, my parents couldn't make too many games, and I think you were a, a staple of the household. And I think everybody, <laughs> everybody, a, a part of that team. Like we had games in Cincinnati where parents can't just drive to Cincinnati on a weekend; they have other kids and stuff like that. And they're like, "Oh, like say thank you to Mick for his like great job." Like it's hard to find a video feed sometimes, and like it's easier they're at work; they just put it on work. So I mean, kudos to you above and beyond your job, and just helping out the Toledo Cherokee and being a part of the team. Well, it's the Cherokee way. You know, it isn't just me. I mean, you meant we talked about Doc, we talked about Mo, Brandy, uh, the guys. I mean, God bless Sap. He was, he yeah. was, uh, I always call that place the house that Sap built, you know, and I still refer to it as that. And, uh, you know, obviously now with the, uh, Donnie and Carrie Manders, you know, uh, heading, heading things up, uh, Jake's parents, uh, they, you know, it's in good hands. And it's all those guys that, you know, that they let a big goofball from North Toledo come sit and uh, get to watch hockey games for free. You know, that's the way I looked at it. Yeah, but you know, you're I, 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 I'd sit behind a microphone and tell you what you were seeing, but it's like I did it because I wanted to watch hockey for free. <laughs> hey, you know what? It worked out for everybody well then. And can't call yourself a goofball. You got to call yourself our goofball because you're part of everybody's family there. And back well, to Sap. I appreciate it. Likewise, likewise. So now, after you get done playing the uh, that season, uh, where does the the journey of of Jordan Fogarty go next? Um, yeah, so I knew I had a very good season in Toledo. I think I had just under a point per game. Um, I talked to no- some North American League teams, but it looked like I mean I was still so small at the time that, and back then, I mean, almost a decade ago, still, and it still is today. It's like you got to be pretty big to play. Like it's a man's game at that point. It's a man's game in Toledo, but it's even more so when guys are fighting for scholarships. So I knew like that probably wasn't going to make it in the North American League. Uh, so I went to Sarnia, Ontario and played the Greater Ontario Junior League, which is uh, the same team my father played in. My entire family outside my immediate family is lives in Sarnia, so I got to live with my grandparents up there. And then I played the following three seasons um, for the Sarnia Legionnaires, 
almost came back to the States. I was drafted in the North American League to the Wichita Falls Wildcats before my overage year, but ended up staying in Canada for that year. So I spent some time there, uh, obviously to help me immensely going to that level. Uh, and from there, I played Division One at Princeton University, the team my dad coaches. So that kind of helped me get to there. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, my father helped me out, but I got that opportunity. And then now I played this past season in Versirum, Sweden, in one of the lower levels in Sweden, which is towns right between Stockholm and Copenhagen. And the plans are to play one final year of hockey next year again in Sweden and then get on with normal person life. Mm, nothing wrong with that. So uh, now, where do you call home base now? Um, probably Manitou Beach, Michigan. It's from my parents' cottages. Um, it's kind of just like where I'll head back after going anywhere because they're there. Um, all my stuff, my hockey gear is still there right now for the summer. So it's like just uh, call that home. But, I mean, I consider home wherever the people you love is. So that moves around quite a bit. Well, let me ask you, how did you end up going to Sweden? I never did ask you that. Um, yeah, it was kind of a crazy thing. So we were, uh, I played my final college hockey game against Dartmouth in playoffs. Uh, we won, so we were going to the ECAC quarter semifinals or something like that, quarterfinals. Um, we are supposed to play Cornell, who was the number one team in the country. So I was preparing for that, and then coronavirus, COVID hit, and that I got sent home, and I thought I was retired from hockey. I was like, I guess that's it. I got to find a job. I was applying to investment banks and hedge funds and stuff like that. And I was like, maybe I'll try to do finance. And then LIU started a new Division I hockey program um, out of Long Island. And I ended up talking to their coach, and I committed to LIU to play a post-grad year and get my MBA. But then COVID kind of kept getting worse, and kind of especially on the teams in the New York City area, and I didn't have a scholarship, so I was looking at probably $120,000 of debt for one year of hockey and an MBA that probably wasn't as strong as my undergraduate degree from Princeton. So I decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going to look at something else. And I had an agent who had been reaching out to me, so I talked to him. And in about a week and a half's time, I went from going to LIU and rolling in classes to dropping out, uh, booking a flight filing for a visa and flying to Sweden. So it was just bang, bang, bang. I was like, well, okay, here we go. And then I also picked up a, uh, a remote job with a hedge fund during that. So I did, I still do that right now. So it was like, everything just kind of happened so fast where all of a sudden I'm in Sweden working for a hedge fund in New York and just like playing <laughs> thousands of miles away from home. Wow. So what was the hockey like over there in Sweden? Um, I mean, the good players in the top leagues are amazing. I was in a low, pretty low league. I mean, I think it's they got SHL, which is their top league, then All Svenken, then Hockey Et, and then Division Two, Division Three, and I was in the Division Three. It's like their fifth league, um, just because I was like, I got to do something, and uh, it was actually really good. So my line mates there, one played for Newman University Division Three, the other one played for the University of Jamestown ACHA Division One. So we had some really good players from North America. And then within like our little league uh, within that division three, like the division of the league, there was our rival had a guy who played on the world junior team for Sweden, like four years before who just, I guess, fell 
fell from the sky somehow. And then mm-hmm. a guy who played on, I think, Slovakia's World Junior team, who is actually the guy who got knocked out by uh, Adam Foote's son one year, like two years ago in mm-hmm. World Junior. So there are some really good hockey players. Um, yeah, it's a way, good claim to fame. <laughs> yeah, can he, I mean, I, I don't think I want uh, one of those foot kids knocking me out, but uh, I mean, if it gets me on the stage with playing with them, uh, I'd probably take it. But yeah, so there's some really good with how Sweden hockey works is you play in like your sports organization up, and then you try to move your sports organization up the leagues, and then you work your way up through that. So there's like a decent amount of really good young guys in the league. And then older guys who are kind of having the, the waning years of their career there as they live with, like, their wives and their kids, and they got, like, part-time or full-time jobs during the day. So, I mean, it's not a lot of money I was making playing, but I got a little bit of salary, all my food and housing and travels paid for, and I get to experience life in a different country, which is just um, might as well do some experiences now before I'm older and my uh, my couple hip surgeries catch up to me. Yeah. Well, uh, so, I mean, did you get to experience uh, just some of the life outside of hockey at all while you were there? Yeah, definitely. So I got to meet some really interesting people. Um, When I first got there, COVID was pretty much, they thought it was a victory. They were pretty much doing a victory lap of COVID. Like everything was open. Um, There's no masks. I I showed up with a mask, came out of the airplane popped in the train down to southern Sweden and I was wearing a mask still and everybody was like what are you doing like are you sick I was like no like, you only wear masks when you're sick here like take that off you're scaring people I was like, oh it's like the came from a little Boston where if you didn't have a mask on you're pretty much gonna get scolded by everybody so mm-hmm. I was like well that was pretty quick and then yeah I got to travel a little bit I went to Stockholm there was a teammate of mine from Princeton one of my best buddies who's playing in northern Sweden so I met up with him in Stockholm uh, checked out the city a bit, saw a few of my other friends who were playing in the top women's league in a town called Linshipping. So I got to do some really cool things. Um, one of our biggest like boosters of the team in Ursirum, <coughs> sorry, uh, was a refugee from Kosovo. So I got to okay. really learn some really cool things from him about how like his like experience of, of like being in an active war zone of living in the city. He's I was like so some super cool things. I, got to hang out with people people would make us like traditional swedish meals um i left just before christmas but uh one of my friends who played at princeton a few years before me plays in a town of it's spelled v-a-x-j-o but they pronounce it in swedish vekua which don't ask me how they use their pronunciations but um i was going to (laughs) spend christmas with him and experience a real christmas uh swedish christmas with him and his swedish wife so it was like really cool and i mean Everybody over there is so nice. It's such a rural and laid-back country that, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that's okay. So now, um, you know, you're you're back here. You're going to play one more year, you said. Um, do you ever get the itch to maybe give it a shot here stateside, like in the, uh, the Fed prospects or the SPHL? Um, I've thought about it. Um, I had offers when I was my last year at Princeton to go play in the SPHL, uh, which we didn't think we were ter- We had a very poor year my last year at Princeton. And then in playoffs, we figured it out. So like I kind of had some spots ready to go in the SPHL for once we lost out to give it a little try of like 
kick the can of pro hockey a little bit. So I thought about it there, but uh, didn't end up working out. And then I had like, thought about it for another year, but at the time of like sep- August, September, nobody knew what was going to happen in the States. Like the States was on such a poor trajectory with like a uh, virus case and stuff. So I like decided like Europe's my best chance. I know I'm not going to play in the NHL or like very make a great run out of the States. There's too many good players that are way bigger than me and faster and skilled. So I decided mm-hmm. like, hey, Europe, go try it out, see what it's like. And then uh, I decided like, hey, I'll go back to Europe. I loved it over there. Love the people. So I uh, I decided kind of like probably my United States hockey career is probably close book at this point. But I mean, if the Toronto Maple Leafs ever want somebody to block pucks and uh, eat punches or something or fill up water bottles, so they can give me a call. I, I'd probably quit <laughs> and go play for the Leafs. Of course, I understand that. Okay, well, before we wind her up, uh, just a couple more questions here. Um, what? Who would you say probably was, I mean, obviously you're an avid Leafs fan being a Sarnia kid. Um, who was your favorite player growing up? Oh, Danny Heatley. Um, he was an Ottawa Center. I used to be an Ottawa Centers fan, but mm-hmm. he uh, just, I, I love goals and he could score goals and he had this curly hair and missing tooth. I just love the mm-hmm. hockey look and um, I, I loved, he was my favorite player so much that I even went and got my hair permed to look like his during the All-Star game of like the 2006-07 season. So, and sure enough, he cut his hair for the All-Star game, so I just had curly hair. <laughs> no reason. Um, my mom's got a picture. It was hilarious. Just me and a bunch of older women getting perms in the Bowling Green Mall. So, yeah, Danny Heatley. Right. So, uh, now, was your your love of Ottawa fleeting? Uh, did, how long did that last, being a fan of theirs, just while he was there? Uh, for the most part, yeah. I just I really liked him. And then, like, the team started to, I guess, call me a Fairweather fan. Team started struggling. They kind of like Alfredson retired, Spezza left. Like all the guys that like Charo's gone way before that. But so I was like, oh, like this team's different now. And then I, when I was living in Sarnia, one of my good buddies was a huge Leafs fan. And I go over to his house to hang out, and we listen to TSN Leafs lunch every day while playing yeah. video games. So then I just kind of like beat liking the Leafs into me. So now I like the Leafs. And then my friends at Princeton too, and we watch pretty much every single Leafs game. So. Pretty much just by association, started to love the Leafs. And I came at a good time because they're pretty terrible when I started liking them. So not super Fairweather fan, even though they're good now. But more than teams, I like watching certain players. Like, I'd much rather watch, like, Nathan McKinnon play, no matter who's teaming up. Like, no matter who he plays for, you know, he always will probably play in the Avalanche forever. But I'd rather watch him play than, like, just watch the Leafs play a random game against Florida. Mm. Wow, it's considering how good Florida is right now. But, uh, yeah. you know, and what's funny is uh, there was I, – I am I am also guilty of being a fair-weather Ottawa fan. Mm-hmm. I was because, I, I mean, when the Wings decided to uh, tank it and just really go down a rabbit hole, uh, I, I will always be a Red Wings fan forever, always. But I – needed another team that could actually uh, win and back then Ottawa came of came close a couple of times so mm-hmm. I was an Ottawa fan and it was funny because it was me and Doc were the only Ottawa fans in the in, in, in the Cherokee 
you know. We were both. He was. He's. He's a real big Ottawa fan. Oh, and awesome. I got. I got tired of uh, being having my heart broken, so I became a Calgary Flames fan. Oh. And man, they're, they're even worse than that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like they from bad to worse. So I'm just gonna stick with the Wings and just hope that someday before I leave this earth that they'll uh, they'll put it together again. But. Oh, yeah, well, we'll see what Stevie Y can draw for them. But okay, now let me ask you a couple more things here before we go, and that is one: who would you say was the the folks? Well, we talked about what was on the ice and things. Uh, who are the uh, who would you say on the ice? Let me ask you this: who was on the ice that impacted you the most as a player? Whether it was another player, a coach. Ooh. Uh, from my time in Toledo, I'll stick to, um, I'm going to go with Brandon Lehman. Um, he taught me a lot just by playing with him where he was always in kind of the right position and he would always look for me to be in the right positions. And I kind of had to learn from that. Like he was a very, he came from a team in Las Vegas that had a ridiculous amount of guys playing the like WHL or NCAA so he knew the game very well, and um, I ended up playing with him through uh, Sarnia as well. But I learned so much from just playing with him. Uh, he's still one of my best friends. Uh, he just taught me so much just by playing with him. He never really told me what to do, like, verbally, but he kind of, like, the way he would play, you can read it off him, like, okay, I need to start doing this because I'll score a lot more goals doing this, or, hey, you can find this, and he works so hard. That's just, like, something like that it's tough to come by just somebody who leads by example like that. And, uh, yeah. Okay. Now how about away from the ice away from, uh, that who, what person or persons, uh, impacted you in terms of what you do, what you did back then, what you do now, uh, that kind of thing, things, uh, in terms of life decisions and stuff, who, who would you say impact has impacted you the most? Well, I mean, it's easy to say my family. Um, I've talked about them enough, though, I think. I want to, don't want to give them big heads. Uh, <laughs> they, uh, I mean, there's so many people, like we talked about earlier, in the Toledo organization alone. It's like you, Doc, Brandy, and Mo. Uh, Sap, one person who just absolutely loved the game and gave everything for that rink and that community. And, I don't think his name should ever be off that board outside an Alexis Road. At, at some point, it should be Saps Ice House on that big sign. Um, I agree. Yeah. So, but uh, there's one person who is not an individual person who's always been somebody I've talked to on every team, but it's always been the bus drivers who have driven us to away games. Who I'll mm-hmm. usually try to just be friendly and say thank you and stuff, but then like once you actually get to know them, like we had the same bus driver through all of our times in Princeton, um, and then Toledo, we had one guy I don't remember his name very well, but they always just are so happy. They just they never really knew much about hockey. They would just be like happy. They'd watch the games. They'd just tell you a great game afterwards, even if you sucked or didn't play. They were just happy to be there, and they've got some crazy life stories of, like, one bus driver we had in Princeton was a 
was in a jazz band and toured the world, opened for some big names. I was like, I don't know. I mean, why don't you tell us? He goes, oh, just my past. Like, I'm here to, like, sort of, like help you guys out, not tell them. I was also like, man, tell us about us. Like, it's awesome. And, like, just such humble people who get so happy at everybody else's successes that it just resonates with me still just how that's the right way to act as a person. It's just always be happy for everybody's successes and always do your part and always be humble. It's just something I've learned that it must be something with bus drivers because they've always been great guys and they've always gotten me safe to where I'm supposed to go. I'm sure my mom's happy about. So (laughs) all the bus drivers who might be listening, thank you from all hockey players in the world. And yeah, it's just small people like that. Like just like I try to learn it from everybody I meet. It's just somehow bus drivers have been so great. Okay. Well, one last thing, one last thing here before we call it a podcast. And that is, what would you like to say to Cherokee Nation? Uh, there's plenty of folks that listen to this, whether it be alumni, uh, kids, adults, fans, coaches, former coaches, you name it. Uh, yeah, I'd first like to say thank you um, to everybody in the Cherokee Nation for showing such support and still following the team, even when you might have been an alumni for so many years ago or you're a parent or a grandparent or a friend of the team or just a fan. Um, I would say thank you for I mean, following along with the team, following along Nick, chronicling all the crazy stories and fun stuff from that happens with such an awesome organization. And I'd like to say congratulations to the the most recent team this year. I mean, they probably don't realize it, but everybody who plays for this organization, no matter where they went in hockey, still like keeps tabs on where they've played. And the Toledo team this year went on an insane run. I mean, to nationals that's something we dreamed about playing and the team's like hey we might go for a run and we got knocked out by Columbus in two games of a two of three in the first round that year so it's like like congratulations thank you to everybody and for the current players that might tune into this um keep giving your all you never know where hockey's going to bring you it could bring you to madison square garden or it could bring you to Prolympia sports hall in Versirum, sweden where Sometimes the light doesn't work in the one end, so just have fun with it. And the friendships you're going to make with Toledo Hockey from now through the rest of your life are going to stick with you. And I would like to say thanks to you, Mick, for having me on. I I couldn't have put it better myself, man. You did great. And thank Thank you, you because I really do enjoy – I enjoyed watching you play. And uh, you you were really a a heck of a hardworking hockey player. And I really appreciate you taking the time today to chat with us and everything. And uh, I'm sure we will uh, keep in touch because when we get to whatever normal is going to be defined as, uh, one of the things we want to do is we want to have a reunion. And, yeah, I'm sure there will be an alumni game or two to be played. But the thing I want to do is get a bunch of us together uh, to go watch a Cherokee game and sit in the stands have a have a couple of Pepsis and tell some tall tales and just laugh our laugh our butt silly, you know. And that that's that's the key. So, you that know, that's like what I want. To me. I will yep. be on the first flight or first taxi from wherever I'm at to be there. Amen, brother. Thank you. Well, that's going to do it for episode 68 here of the Cherokee Rewind. Big special thanks to Jordan Fogarty for spending some time here talking about his time, not only in Toledo, but uh, the reason he loves the game, which is part of what it webs into the fabric of what we love about this game, and that is the people that play it. Well, uh, don't forget, you can download every episode if you want. You just go to whatever uh, platform you use 
for it to download your uh, podcasts and MP3 files and subscribe. Put in Cherokee Rewind, and it will notify you every Wednesday and Saturday when a new episode drops. So for Jordan, I'm Mick. Thanks for hanging out with us, and we really do appreciate it very much as you've been listening to the Cherokee Rewind. <laughs>